The teen scene of New York City is something to behold, particularly among the uber-wealthy. Lustful step-siblings Sebastian and Catherine make sick, twisted games out of people's lives, seducing virgins, spreading rumors, and all sorts of perversions. When the virginal daughter of the school's new headmaster publishes a manifesto about how awesome it is to stay pure until marriage, a wager emerges. Sebastian bets Catherine he can bed her before school starts. If he loses, she gets his car. If he wins, he gets Catherine. But things don't always work out the way you expect, and the heart wants what the heart wants in the sexy 1999 thriller, Cruel Intentions. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb J. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast. Today's episode is very special. It was on a list of suggestions emailed to us months ago by a fan who requested one of them as a birthday episode. And her birthday is actually tomorrow, May 18th, but we're pretty damn close. So happy birthday, Nicole. Here's Cruel Intentions, a film that was way better than I expected. And again, if you ever want, if you're out there and you're listening to the show and you want to hear us talk about a film that you like, all you got to do is email us that film or send us a message to the socials and we'll we'll do it in a heartbeat. Uh, so yeah, this is only our second time doing that. So, you know, we don't want to disappoint the fan. <laughs> oh, we don't, it might take months to get to it, but we won't disappoint yeah. at least. Well, she wanted it to be on her birthday and she sent me this in like October. So, <laughs> you know, took a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad we could do it. So what is your history with this film? Because Cruel Intentions is, it's an odd duck. I like. I'm gonna just put the warning out now. If I sound like a baseless man through this podcast, I apologize in advance. But straight up, like as a child, I think I mentioned on podcast four, my mom and a lot of my aunts and you know my cousins would watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, not the movie. Not to be confused. Um, and that is when like I developed probably my biggest shouted crush, which was on so Michelle Geller who played Buffy. Um and when I went to college, I had a, a college buddy of mine that um I'm actually some uh, in touch with. Um he works for Flickering Myth right now, actually. Um and he had told me, Oh, you know, he had first he had got me into actually watching Buffy myself. So I ended up like watching the whole damn thing when it was on Netflix. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. I think it's on a different streamer. Hulu. Um, Hulu. I think mean, yeah, Hulu has it now. Um, and he told me, he was like, hey, man, if you have such a huge crush on so much Geller and you haven't seen Full Intentions yet, you should watch that. And I was like, all right, why not? And I did. And wow to one. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, But also it ended up being like, I, you know, not a movie that's really like up my alley generally and like what I watch. But I was kind of, and remember being impressed by like, it's actually not terrible. Like, I'm actually kind of getting invested in this movie. And it's like, I mean, it's literally everything I shouldn't, I don't usually like. Like, it's, you know, a romance with teens and they're all super snobby, rich people. And I'm just, and elements that I realize now, I'm like, ooh, hasn't aged well since it came out in the 90s. Um, 
but there's just something about it that like kind of like that grips me. Even watching the same time, like yeah, I'm kind of like okay, like I'm getting into this, and it, I I see why it just had this legacy. I know it's had some sequels that had nothing to do with this first one, but you know, nonetheless, and there's been a very many different attempts to get a reboot show off the ground. I think so. I'm sure even attaches a producer to like a proposed one or something like that. Um, so there's been attempts made to like keep this thing going. It has a, a strong following because of it. Um, but yeah, now that, that's my history. It's all based in a childhood crush and <laughs> hearing about this movie. And so I'm sure Kyler. that actually makes a lot of sense considering how, you know, how well I know you and your near obsession with Sarah Michelle Geller. Let's calm down. I'm not going to like track her down. Anything I remember true. the Scooby-Doo episode of Beyond the Bad. You were you were lusting. It, yeah, look, <laughs> yeah. I will not deny my childhood crushes, or you know, my two current uh, celebrity crushes. I won't deny that. No, no, you won't. And today, particularly oh. with this movie, it would be weird to to try to be all celibate about it. So we're pretty much just going to be, you know guys here i mean come on yeah I'm gonna, yeah i want to tell for those who don't know a little bit about my personal life i'm fresh into a relationship now so i'm gonna have to tell my girlfriend not to listen to this episode and i'm perpetually single so it doesn't fucking matter what i say uh so i first saw parts of this movie in a hotel room in ireland uh i was on vacation I was uh, I was with my mom and she was watching it on TV and I was watching a Craig Ferguson stand up special on my laptop. And I happened to my eyes drifted upward and it was the scene where Sarah Michelle Gellar is showing Selma Blair how to how to make out. So immediately I no longer cared what Craig Ferguson was talking about. <laughs> I was very much like, what is was this? Uh so I, I didn't want my, I don't know why, I, I guess I was young. I was like, I don't want my mom to know that I'm also watching this. So I took one headphone out and I watched half, half of my head was focused on cruel intentions and the other half was still listening to Craig Ferguson. So it was very jumbled. I didn't have any context about what this movie was. I just know it looked hot. Okay. Fair enough. It's so a very hot scene. Hmm? Yeah. It's a very hot scene. Eventually I was like, I, like I just pulled out the Craig Ferguson ear, earbud, but at that point, like the movie was pretty far gone, and I had no frame of reference, so I didn't know what was going on. Uh, so I saw the second half of the movie, not knowing who the hell these people were or what this was about, and uh, that was it. So years later, uh, we get the fan request, and I'm like, I'm looking through her list, and I'm like, oh, Cruel Intentions. I remember seeing most of that. Let's do that. And uh, now I watched it with context, and you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to say I was impressed, but I didn't hate it. Like I thought it was pretty good. Like it's a obnoxious, immoral '90s erotic thriller. Like what's wrong with that? Yeah, and honestly, '90s like if you want to go down the erotic thriller route, and obviously those ones that go way further, you got your basic instincts and um whatnot that exist. Even if you want to get weird with it and the horror one with like things like species, um. I would have gone to single white female first, but you know, okay. Single white female works too. Sure. Bound. 
before I start fucking aliens, I'd 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 go into you know the human realm first. But you know, no, no you you got to make the leap, or it's, it's now <laughs> or never. Um, but nineties really did a, like a hon- good job honing in on that, and it's it's uh, it's something that will never get revived. We'll never get in Mark throws not in today's. And I look usually I I actually get real tired of hearing like this. You know, I don't want to watch this because this movie is too woke. Blah 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 blah. Like Jesus Christ, shut the fuck up. It's not the same movie landscape it used to be. Just get over it. Um, but and with I, that said, I will argue. I'm pretty sure all, if not like most, if not all, of the sex in this movie is consensual. Yes, it is. There you go. So, yeah, most, if not all, you could at most debate the time when he goes down on Summer Blair. That's probably the most debatable moment. True, but she does let him do it. I mean, I don't, you know, it's it's a little rapey, but it's not that. It's I expected way more, way more rapey moments in this movie. <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah. but, but point being is, you know, in today's movie landscape, I don't see this type of film or even any of the more extreme erotic thrillers like your show and shit ever coming back like not in today's movie climate because for some reason we have a weird aversion to sex in movies which kind of bugs me like come on stop being improved guys there's nothing wrong with it um every, every couple decades we get progressive and then something happens where we just immediately abandon that and go back to like no dirty ah so yeah, i don't oh, dude there, there's a whole like section of like people on phone tour being like why do we need sex in movies i'm like shut your fucking mouse like stop it <laughs> like, if all parties are okay with it who 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 are we to say no like who gives a yeah. fuck look like i'll say it i'm sorry that you're a prude and you don't want to see boobs in film i'm not i do i want to see your parents told you to get in the closet and pray but mine didn't so fuck you yeah fuck you <laughs> i i like sex nudity in film and tv as as long as I know that hey it's consensual, the intimacy uh, coordinator was there. That's the term for the uh, what they use, and everything was good to go. Hey, sweet, yeah, give me that scene. Let's go, give me that scene. But I think sex in movies saves lives. <clears throat> All right, fine. I'll explain. elaborate. Elaborate. <laughs> no, no, I won't. Yes, okay. Um, I think that the more, you know, there's cl- there's people out there who are remarkably sheltered who, you know, are, you know, whether it be by religious reasons or social reasons or just, you know, mom's an asshole. It, whatever your reasoning is, there are people out there who are not taught normally about anatomy, about sexuality, and I would argue that seeing, you know, things in films might at least prevent one or two of them from becoming full-blown serial killers. I have nothing to back that up. It just feels right. <laughs> it mainstream films. Let's let's quote that right now. Mainstream films can at least pr- give you like insight into obviously that war, especially as you start becoming an adult and sex and stuff like that becomes part of your life. Um, is it so? Do I, I mean? Would I say all films are great role models of that though? No, there's plenty of films where I'd be like. Well, she said no let's yeah but, i'm not i'm yeah. not thinking like the devil's rejects is going to be somebody's blueprint for a healthy sex I, life i fucking no. hope not <laughs> but, but some <laughs> movies just to understand 
like how certain things work, how to form relationships, stuff that you're, you, you might not learn in the real world due to a sheltered existence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, the other side of the film, the film or the, the adult side of it, uh, even if you're not sheltered, presents the most unrealistic form of sex you will ever ever witness. It may look hot on camera, but you're not holding that position for fucking 50 goddamn minutes. A lot of the letterboxed reviews for this film, which we're going to talk about towards the end here, a lot of them blame this movie for the, like, help me, stepbrother, I'm stuck, pornos. <laughs> like, this is the beginning of that. <laughs> it all, the incest porn started here. It started here. Oh my god, damn it. Probably you you know you could say that, but try to tell me that there probably isn't like a, a fucking Halloween porn parody with Michael and Lori fuck. Well, depending on your canon, they're not related, so <laughs> that's that's a tricky one. Fair enough. Okay, got me there. <laughs> you know it sounds like a problem a problematic one, a sleeper ray camp. Porn parody. That sounds inherently problematic. And I'm I'm a fan of sleepaway camp, but I'm just saying. I think a sleepaway camp porn parody would be incredibly in- inclusive, and I support it. I'm an ally. I'm serious. God damn it. <laughs> oh boy, this is fun. Already, I'm loving this. Great pick, Nicole. <laughs> so my question to you we've never done this on the podcast before but this feels like the right movie to do this uh basically so it's fuck Mary kill sarah michelle geller reese witherspoon selma blair you go first you just want to drop that on me like that yes yes i have Welcome to the Cruel Intentions episode. We're not holding back this time. Okay, I'm going to marry Sarah Michelle Geller because that's a lifetime of fucking right there. Okay. That's happening. Uh, I want to fuck Reese Witherspoon. And you know what? Call Summer Blair. Nothing against her. I just haven't been on that Summer Blair bandwagon like everyone else. Okay, that was quick. This is, this is gonna be a fast question. Yeah, this is what you cited. You didn't think deep or thought provoking. For you just said, "Hey, let's go for this." This is on you. Do better next time. I think this is great. I'm I'm having a great time. Okay, so I <clears throat> I would fuck Sarah Michelle Gellar. I would kill. Reese Witherspoon because I saw it like one time she got she got arrested for a DUI and pulled the whole do you know who I am bullshit so right there I'm like okay I don't like her and I'd marry Selma Blair because she seems like a like like a neat person the actress not her insufferable little shit character in this movie oh yeah (laughs) If we're talking characters in this movie, it's a wildly different layout, but <laughs> yeah. So I think Reese Witherspoon's a good actress. I've heard some some stuff about her being kind of a bitch. 
Yeah, there's been she may not necessarily be America's sweetheart like she's been propped up to be. Um, Most of the time, people who are propped up like that are are very much not. Yeah, um, that's why I say like, hey, it's like I always say when it comes to just fuck, I don't care about personality. In out out it gone. In out gone. So she can be rude all she wants. I'm going to do what needs to be done and leave. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to double down. Don't double down. No, we're yeah. doubling down. I hate you. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fuck Mary Kill. Ryan Philippi. Ronald. And the gay dude. It is 2023. Do you know how bad it sounds if either one of us say kill the gay dude? Two straight dudes. I I don't really like football, so I, I'm not marrying the guy. I was like, I'm not I mean, I'm not killing him. I'm just saying I'm what I wanted to put that out there in case that's where your mind was going. Here, I'll um, go first. I'll go I got you. I'll give you more time to think about it because I feel like you need more time to think about it. I do. You just don't you bastard. <laughs> All right. Uh fuck the gay dude, marry Ronald, kill Ryan Philip Philippi. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Anytime. Shut up. I'm thinking. <laughs> Mary, yeah, same. Mary Ronald, kill Ryan Philippi, and fuck the gay dude because he knows what he's doing. Yeah, there you go. I just don't care for Ryan Philip Philippi Felipe. I know it's not Felipe. Phil, you, know Philippe. you know how yeah, many we, were married? They were. Yeah, that's how she got this role, and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute here. Yeah. So based off what we've heard about, I wonder if she he was like annoyed with her. And was like, I'm done with this. I can't imagine in that household. My God, the amount of smug. <laughs> What if Ryan Phillippe's actually a really nice dude? He's just really good at playing these types of roles. He plays douchebags so well. I don't know, maybe. I know nothing about the guy personally. He just, in this movie and the Lincoln lawyer, which is pretty much this exact character if he was a murderer, mm-hmm. is so obnoxious and... I mean, ugh. I've heard usually, you know, guys are, you know, actors in general that are really good. Good at playing the villain. Tend to be very nice in real life. Well, we'll find out if I ever meet him. Or if he's on like Celebrity Jeopardy or some shit. What if he's having a bad day and you get him at a bad time? That that happens. That sucks. <laughs> okay, so here's here's where Cruel Intentions came from. This movie is a modern day reimagining of the 1782 French novel Les Liaisons d'Andrew by Pierre Chodolos de Laclos, known stateside as Dangerous Liaisons. You may have heard of that. Uh, the novel's most well-known adaptation was the 1988 film of the same name, starring Glenn Close, John Malkovich, and Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a similar story, just set in pre-revolution France. So somebody had the bright idea to take that, Turn it into late 90s New York, make them teenagers, 
voila. Sounds about right. Yeah. I've never seen Dangerous Liaisons. I'd like to. Sounds like a pretty good movie. I've heard about it. Like, I've heard of the movie. Yeah, me too. The 90s teen version was written and directed by Roger Cumble, who would go on to direct a lot of terrible comedies, such as Just Friends, The Sweetest Thing, College Road Trip, and Furry Vengeance. He wrote a, he wrote a few erotic thrillers. This is the one that stuck. So, I guess you know. I don't know if he'd consider his career any you know, any after or, Furry Vengeance, or was that like the end of the line? Uh, after Furry Vengeance, there's a lot of TV. Ah, so you tell me. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Reese Witherspoon was cast largely due to her being the real-life girlfriend of Ryan Phillippe at the time. Uh, he and director Roger Cumble basically went out and got her super drunk and told her, like, you'd be so good at this. And she was like, I'll do it. So I don't know how legal that contract was, but you know what? She did a good job. So Ryan Phillippe was like, babe, come on, just be in the movie. There's a scene where she, like, slaps him, and that was totally ad-libbed. She got two in the moment. And then when they yelled cut, he ran off to the side of the set and threw up. He was like, my character's such a bastard. Like, he was really like, I don't want to, like, I love you, Reese. It's hilarious. <laughs> he got, they got into character and like, I don't want to be bad like this. <laughs> you had me at hello, Reese. It's different when you're, you know, mentally, ab- like, you know, and like mentally abusing your actual <laughs> girlfriend on set. As a, you know, I'm sure this, I mean, they were together for quite a while. They got married in mm-hmm. 1999, the divorce yeah. in 2007. So they, it lasted a while. Yeah. I, I, in all fairness, I couldn't like imagine like having to do like something like my girlfriend. I'd be like, I don't feel this way though. <laughs> yeah. You got to basically fake a breakup. That's, uh, I bet that hurt. I wonder if they had to talk about this. <laughs> they had to work through that shit. <laughs> She's just like, would you really do this to me? He's like, no, I wouldn't. God. I was acting, I swear. Yeah. Meanwhile, off to the side, Freddie Prince Jr. is just at the craft services like, you're doing great, babe! <laughs> Don't lose I, the dark hair, you look hot. <laughs> I got a movie, I think they were us both in it, just like I know you did last summer. Has a dog. You may have heard of him. Uh, you know what? They're still together, so you know. Yeah. In the end, Catherine won. Yeah, they're still together, and I, you know, she hasn't. I have follow her on Instagram. Based off their posts, they're very happy still. Like apparently, very happy. So good for them. Well, I mean, to be fair, no one's posting there. You know, my husband's a real asshole today. Like no one's posting that. I mean, Reese Burstman recently posted that she's divorcing her husband. Oh. So, yeah, they kind of are. Oh, shit. I, I, I think that's a little personal. Your so, good days, everyone wants to know about that. Your bad days, I don't know you personally. I don't care. Look, man, my look. I'll tell you on this. My Instagram, I only follow half these celebrities because I think they're attractive and they they post pictures. So that's that's it. That's that's all it is for me. That's why anybody p- follows anybody on Instagram. Yeah, that's that's all it is for me. And outside of that, I follow like certain accounts that I generally like to follow, like horror celebrities or companies and stuff that post stuff you follow instagram for pics you follow twitter for thoughts that's that's how it works and yeah i'm like the only person left on facebook so 
<laughs> so Sarah Michelle Geller got to step out of her vampire slaying shoes for a bit and play a truly contemptible cunt. And uh, she does a great job. I mean, she is sadistic in this movie. Like, yeah. seriously, just like a, a sociopath. I know she she's good, especially if like you see her interview stuff. She seems like a nice. I haven't heard anything bad about her. Like I haven't heard anyone be like she's terrible to work with. Like, yeah, I admired when she you know stood up after all the after all the uh, Joss Whedon shit came out, and she like told her side of it and said you know revealed how much of a piece of shit that guy was. Like I bet she was part of the glue, kind of holding that set together. Yeah. So like. She seems like a, a generally nice person. So to have her just say, like, I'm going to play this part. And even then, like, you know, even when she was doing stuff, like, I know you did last summer and things like that. Like, you know, she may have played an airhead, like, in that movie, but you still liked her character. Like, that was, like, the thing. Like, he, she always made a likable character. Yeah. In this movie, she, like, commits fully to being a despicable, just straight up, I want to say, just a bitch throughout this movie. And she does great. I already dropped the C bomb, dude. I think you can you can say bitch. It's fine. No, no, no. Some of us are classier here. <laughs> nah, not not this time. Um, I wonder if a part of that is you know, Buffy had been on for I think what two years at this time. Yeah, ninety seven. This came out ninety nine. So it was yeah. like also height of Buffy. Yeah, at that point. So she was known for playing you know a pretty heroic noble character. So I wonder if she was just like I want to play a bad person. And this came along and she was like, yeah, this will do. <laughs> so, so I wonder if there's some of that, too, because I know that like when actors play like heroic roles for a while, they want to step out of that and play a bad guy. And when they play bad guys for a while, they want to step out of that, be a hero. People, they want to mix it up. Yeah. Freddie, Freddie Prince was over there like, yeah, be be a be a naughty girl, babe. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Just picturing like like a PA being like. Keep your hands where I can see him, Fred. <laughs> like just like hands up on the table at all times. Fred, you know you're not in the movie, right? Yeah, but I'm supporting her. Oh, put your pants back on. <laughs> now I'm just like every time an actor is you know doing a role, their like significant other is off to the side, just like eating sandwiches at craft services, just being like, "You're you're doing great. Way to go!" Like I just I love picturing that. That like, would 100% be me. Like, I would be that guy. It's like, whoo, doing great. But I'm like on the, set, on the set of Edge of Tomorrow, Emily Blunt is like doing her thing with Tom Cruise. Krasinski's stuffing chips in his mouth, like, whoo, good job. <laughs> I love that, you know, like, they get to scenes where they have to, you know, like, if they're love interest, they have to kiss. And she's like, John, I, we're married. Are you sure you're okay with this? He's like, he literally goes, that's Tom fucking Cruise. If you don't do it, I will. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a strong marriage right there that's what that is that's love that's love yeah i, I bet it even works the other way around you know every tom hanks movie rita wilson's there like you got this tom <laughs> this is great i love that i love this America's idea that tom yeah i love this idea of hollywood basically being like a, a little league game with the cheering parents on the side that's that's nice to picture. <laughs> uh, Cruel Intentions has an IMDb score of 6.8. Rotten Tomatoes score of 54%. Critics didn't like it. User score of 80. So people did. Uh, critics consensus reads, 
This darkly comic drama and its attractive young cast are easy on the eyes, but uneven performances and an uninspired script conspire to foil cruel intentions. And I'd like to remind everybody that this is based on a, at the time, 200-year-old novel. So I also really, I also really like when critics come after Hollywood casting attractive people. And I'm like, yeah, that's been kind of like its thing since it started because we want to see attractive people on screen. And they're supposed to be, you know, yeah, they're all in their 20s. You can't cast actual teenagers or Roger Cumble's going to prison. Yeah, you can't can't cast teenagers and have sex scenes. Not how it works. No, God, no. But and why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't you get someone like Sarah Michelle Gellar, who again hide her Buffy fame? Like that was a fucking big. That was a a win for those guys. They went, holy shit, we got Buffy. People, this, were was, su- this was supposed to be low budget, like a low budget kind of you know, like Skinamax almost level thing. Then Sarah Michelle Gellar joined it, and they were like, oh, we we got to give money to this thing. This could be a box office smash, and it kind of was. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's uh, like I don't know. I just I always find like when when critics like they have to nitpick to the point of like. You know, it's amazing how they attract, cast all these attractive Hollywood people. Like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. If actors were, you know, fuck ugly, Hollywood would have lasted maybe 10 years. <laughs> so, yeah, beautiful people put asses in seats. We've all accepted that. Why can't you? Time and time again, that is what's been proven. <laughs> and uneven performances. Get the fuck out of here. The performances of this movie are pretty damn good. Yeah, I'm like, it's a bunch of actors that are still working to this very day because they're good actors. Yeah, one of them's an Oscar winner, so fuck you. Yeah, uh, Geller, you know, she had, you know, she made a big talk about returning to TV with that Edmund Grant and get good reviews, but she's had a big, you know, comeback with the TV front and doing stuff there. I know Ryan uh, Philippi, I know he does his thing. It's just stuff I don't watch. I do he know does he does. this thing. You just don't know what that thing is. I don't know what it is. I know I see his name pop up and stuff like all the time. It's just things I don't watch. He's got to be on some like ABC Tom Selleck show or something, right? Let's find out. Ryan, that's oh, a PBA. Did you just describe Blue Bloods? He's, doesn't it feel like if I told you Ryan Phillippe was on Blue Bloods, you, you'd believe me. Like there would be no like, no way. You'd be like, oh, cool. Good for him. <laughs> He's not, but. Sounds like, like did, you replace, did you replace Donnie Wahlberg? Oh, he never did jump to TV. No, he's been doing like direct to video action movies for like 20 years. Oh, well, good for him. That's that's kind of sad. But you know what? Money talks. <laughs> you know what? He's still getting a paycheck. Fuck it. Yeah, there you go. Look on the bright side. Uh, the film is a modest hit, grossing 75 million on a budget of only 10 million. It spawned two direct-to-video sequels, a canceled TV series, and an off-Broadway musical. It is now regarded as a cult classic. Uh, one of these sequels is a prequel, how uh, Sebastian and Catherine met. I assume that they met when their parents got married, but I guess Sounds not. like their, their parents got married? I don't remember who plays Sebastian, but Catherine is played by a young Amy Adams. I mean, <laughs> just saying. Amy Adams is just so like sweet. I I can't picture her as like as this person. That was also young Amy Adams. So it's when she was really having to like try. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I younger. Not a bad way, but like, you... like the TV roles I saw her in, she was kind of a bitch. Like yeah. every she had this mean girls quality to her. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in a negative. I'm just saying you see it all the time. Young actors, they experiment a lot. They take a lot more risks because they're trying to make their get their name out there. So yeah, she played a um a fat girl in a Smallville episode who ate kryptonite and it made her thin, but it also turned her into like an absorbing monster that like ate everything inside. Sounds like a weird episode, but okay. It was a very weird episode. They had to pad that out for the first first few seasons by introducing what they called meteor freaks. Because when Clark Kent landed on Earth, or I'm sorry, when Kal-El landed on Earth, he landed in a meteor shower full of kryptonite. So like Smallville had kryptonite all over it. And anybody who touched it had like weird things happen to them. Sometimes they became like an icicle villain. Sometimes they became a like absorbing villain. Sometimes they were just like they could read minds. They had to fill 22 odd episodes a season. So yeah, Superman doesn't have that oh, many yeah. good, good villains. <laughs> yeah. I'll say the, the glory days of the WB. I'm like, now. Yeah. Um, 10 seasons that admittedly pretty shitty TV show lasted. But, you know, it gave birth yeah. to the Arrowverse. So thanks. And then honestly, Superman and Lois is a way better show than Smallville was. Well, he wasn't allowed to be fucking Superman. They gave him the rules, like no tights, no flights. That those were the rules of Smallville. Like you couldn't be Superman, he couldn't fly. It's like, then why did you make this show? Yeah, at <laughs> least in Superman Gotham, Lewis, like, you're not allowed to show Batman's. Like, well, then why are we here? Yeah, I was about to say in Superman Lewis, he's fucking Superman. Like he's Superman, so it's nice. <laughs> the show's called Superman and Lois. They could have just called it Superman. I mean, no one's there for Lois. I mean, I'm there for those because the actress is really hot, but whatever. Whatever. Cruel Intentions 3 was a 2004. Go on. I feel like we have one-sided conversations about Superman and Lois all the time because I don't watch it. I have nothing to add to that conversation. (laughs) I mean, apparently last I heard they were talking about moving it to Max. HBO. You know, not HBO Max. No. no, Max. I'm not calling it Max. I refuse to give a streaming service a human name. I'm not doing that. It's going to be called Max. You're going to have to re-download the app if you want to continue enjoying it, too. Seriously? Because it's called Max. Something like that. I just got the email telling me what we... I just got the email telling me what I have to do. CBS All Access just morphed into Paramount+. Plus. I didn't have to do shit. Well, look, as we've learned... Zaslav isn't a smart man who is determined that even in the power strike, bat goal shouldn't exist. I'm surprised he didn't just call the map like you know, Z- or the he didn't call the app Zaslav Plus or something like that. <laughs> or David, hey, have you checked out that new show on David? No, no, I haven't. Uh, All right. But Cruel Intentions 3 was a completely unconnected movie, direct-to-video 2004, that was about two guys at a prep school making a wager on seducing chicks. And it was like, who can seduce the most popular girl in school? Whoever does that wins. And there's nobody of any real fame in this movie at all. Fuck yeah. (laughs) That is a sequel, baby. Cruel Intentions (laughs) 3. Some movies you like, you wouldn't expect to be franchises, but like if you dig deep enough, you can find it, and that's always strange. 
Yeah, there, there's sometimes when I'm watching something, I'll be like looking it up. Sometimes, usually, as I'm watching, I'm kind of bad. I'm mainly, I'm a little bit bad about that. My phone at home, but I'm home. I can do what I want. Damn it. Um, not disturbing anyone in my house. Uh-huh. Um, I'll look it up and I'll be like, "There's sequels to this," and then you're looking like, "Oh, they're not good sequels." Okay, sweet. I feel like if you have to ask, if you if you find out like 20, 30 years after the movie's out, like, "Oh, there are sequels." They're not good sequels. They're not. It's like when I watched American Psycho first, I was like, oh, this was really good. And then years later, someone's like, you know, they made a second one at Mila Kunis. I was like, no, they fucking didn't. And then I was like, oh my God, they did. Yeah. What was that? Like All American Girl or something like that? It's American Psycho 2. I think like All American or some shit like that. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, yeah. we, we like film fans, we know all the good sequels. Like we may not have seen all of them, but we know the good sequels. We know what yeah. they are. If I'm bored, I'll seek these out. Sometimes be like, I just have to see what the fuck they even try to do with this. But that's like if I'm bored. Well, that's, you know, I've I've recently opened myself up to pretty much watching every movie on the planet as like a lifelong goal. So I'm down to watch all these shitty sequels. I put Cruel Intentions 2 and 3 in my list. I will be watching them if if my lucky randomizer lands on it. Like how you say lucky in that case. In that case, you're not luck is not on your side. I've been pretty lucky so far. Like I have yet to get a serious piece of shit with this project. I would but love in there. I have quite a lot. It's a minefield at this point. I would love if you say that, and the thing is just like listening is like, oh, you wait. I'm basically at this point. I'm playing film minesweeper, and I haven't lost yet. <laughs> uh, with that, let's give this film some awards. We have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best line of the film, the Thomas Newman Award for the best music moment, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance, and the John Carpenter Award for the best scene. Uh, Let's start with the best line. Uh, Take us away. All right. So I'm not going to lie. At first, I really want to evolve into my baseless mental instincts with everything Sarah Michelle Gellar says about the damn bet with the whole, like... You know, I'll give you something you've been obsessing over ever since our parents got married. And my favorite part, you can put it in anywhere. My favorite part was when she just straight up says, I'll fuck your brains out. Hearing Buffy say that. Yeah, that was good. That was not when I was like, oh, my God. Um, I almost call this, but actually it's something she says towards the end when it gets like revealed that the bet was not about uh, Annette. It was about uh, Ryan Phillippe's character the whole time. And he's just kind of standing there. And she drinks from her champagne because she's rich. And that's how we know in movies you're rich. You drink champagne. Um, or you're fancy. Um, and she says, tastes good. So, I assume you've come here to make arrangements. But unfortunately, I don't fuck losers. I gotta give Sir Mr. Geller credit on that line. Like, that is some ice cold shit delivered very well by her. I thought he was gonna kill her. <laughs> Like, I was expecting him to, like, whack her with the champagne bottle and then, like, blame it on Selma Blair. I know, right? I was like, oh, my God. Because, yeah, he, she in that moment just was like, oh, no, you're you, you're not getting this. I just like to fuck with you. What a monster. But, I mean, he was, you know, he's no saint. The objective of this bet was to, you know, seduce an innocent girl and then fuck his stepsister. So, like. He's not a hero. <laughs> no, it's like you're trying to fuck your stepsister, and like, don't get me wrong, like, it's so I'm sure Geller, yes, but like, dude, come on, like, 
It's okay. Where the hell is everyone's parents? It's their new their rich Manhattan kids, man. Their parents are just never home. I feel like this is something they should be made aware of. <laughs> I mean, they may not be the best parents, clearly. Look how they turned out, but they should know how this is like what's going down here. What that this that whoever's son is that parents is trying to fuck the other parents' daughter. That is one of many things they should be made aware of. <laughs> Someone needs to yeah. My god. Um I went with a, a line right before they decide to pretty much turn Selma Blair into a whore. And uh, Sebastian has second thoughts. And it's the first glimmer of a real conscience we get from this guy. And he says, we've done some pretty fucked up shit in our time. But this, I mean, we're destroying an innocent girl. You do realize that. Like, he's like, has this momentary flicker of like, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. And that... You know, when he hooks up with Annette, that pretty much builds into a, you know, Jiminy Cricket gets, you know, defibbed back to life. And suddenly Sebastian has a conscience. But this is where the spark of life for Jiminy started pumping again. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good line. It finally kind of shows you, like you said, it gives you that kind of like the turning point for his character. It's like he's finally starting to be like, should we do this? Because, like, I mean, yeah, some of those characters are annoying and just oh insufferable but like like you said she's innocent like you really want to like do this and it in a weird way kind of it kind of touches on like this film is almost somewhat ahead of its time in that one regard with female sexuality Mm. and um you know by doing that and you can not just all of a sudden make and some sugar talks about being like why do girls get called whores when they want to be sex positive like it's not even necessarily like She's going to become like this slut and just ruin her life. It's you do this and then she likes it. Like most people like sex and she wants to have more of it. And then, yeah, her reputation could get destroyed because now she's going to get branded a fucking slut because, you know, guys can sleep around, but girls can't. And, you know, um, something that was I know a very prevalent thought. I know when we were growing up, I I can't speak on behalf of the young generation now. I am 30 years old. I have no idea what they're thinking. Um, I that generation's hope- eating ass for fun. I think things have changed. I think that, yeah, true. Um, but hopefully things have changed, and you know, we're. I know, you know, any future kids I have, not that I'm going to promote them, just going out fucking people, Jesus. But like, stop. Look, I'm standing by it. Stop shaming girls for wanting to fuck like guys do. Like Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's okay if a girl wants to fuck. I'm just picturing you sitting down like 17 or 18 year old Caleb Jr. and being like, look, buddy. Fuck whatever you want. It's your it's your oyster. It's your world. Go nuts. You give him like a giant box, of, like a Costco box of condoms. It's just like, have, have a great summer, buddy. <laughs> I should fuck with him and give him one box that's open. And be like, this used to be for me, but I don't need them anymore. By the way. Guess who's getting the baby brother? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that that dick son. Do what you want with it. Just don't tell me. This movie is God. This movie is a great like spectrum for how much you're supposed to hug your kids. 
If you don't hug them at all, you make Sebastians and Catherines. If you hug them too much, you make Cecile's. You hug them just enough, you get Annette. <laughs> like that's, I think that's a you know this is the spectrum of characters we've got. Yeah, hug your kids when they've earned it, or else they're going to try to fuck their step sibling. You don't want that. You never hug them. You get monsters. If you hug them too much, you get man children, and those are even creepier. They are very creepy and annoying. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Best music moment. This has a pretty good late '90s soundtrack of just you know ridiculous, you know super '90s music, but also a kind of creepy, weirdly like nursery rhyme esque score. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting score that runs throughout this. Um, I don't know if this is just me being in you know, I, know, I guess Cloud Nine being in a fresh relationship. I almost had like the love making song. I was like, I was literally sitting going, "Oh, that is really sweet." Look at them. Just, Two people. I was like, snap out of it. Snap the hell out of it. <laughs> and I was like, don't write anything down until this movie's over. And then you write something down. And I'm glad I did that because what I actually ended up putting down, even though it was for its time that it came out, overplayed to shit, I put uh, Better Street Symphony by The Verve um, that plays at the end. Mostly because one, yeah, it wasn't overplayed by even at this time. I think this wasn't even too long after it fucking came out. It was already overplayed. Um, but it's kind of satisfying hearing this song in the same scene where you finally see Selma Shores get her fucking comeuppance at the end. And you're like, thank God, finally, someone is getting what they fucking deserve in this movie. I picked the exact same sequence. I. I love the use of bittersweet symphony. Uh, you know, it's appropriate. You know, it's bittersweet because Sebastian's dead, but Catherine gets hers. So, you know, there's your bittersweet. Um, yeah, you know, second time watching this, I forgot he dies. And then when it died, I was like, oh shit, he dies. It's such a stupid death, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I, I love this whole sequence. It's so satisfying. And it's, it's Annette and Cecile that take her down. Which is mwah, chef's kiss, just beautiful. I love when the headmaster like takes her her crucifix and like opens it, and all the coke falls out, and he just shakes his head like, "Oh, just disappointment." Oh, you didn't share it with me. <laughs> it is weird. Like, I guess you know because we went to such a small town school. You know, we didn't have that nine hundred two one zero high school experience where it was like reputation was the currency of the realm i never experienced that so to me it's completely meaningless but to some people it is the end all be all and it's like you know how how they're seen at school is their entire lives and that's such a hollow existence yeah well and especially those type of people in this kind of i mean this is these are these are all wealthy fucking coming kids coming from wealthy families well yeah even outside of school, like your how your looks is exactly what everyone goes by, both physical looks and just like your perception of wealth and all that stuff. You're like you're talking about your class where you're we you sit at. All that matters to them. Whereas we went to a small town with the high school high school had three hundred total students, so we didn't care. I knew the chick in my grade that had that was regularly doing coke. Her, her re- reputation didn't change because she was new in Coke. 
same reputation because it's a small goddamn town that wasn't going to ruin it. And somebody in my class showed me the crack pipe they brought to school. And my reaction wasn't, oh, you gross person. It was, why did you bring that to school, you idiot? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I remember when she was showing us, like, hey, look, look at my Coke. And she pulls it out the fucking bag. And I'm thinking, like, why are you doing that in class right now? You idiot. Hey, check out my giant bag of Coke. Yeah. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard of. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> all right. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, do you remember that that time that uh like the controversy that the a bittersweet symphony like had? You remember all that? Oh, with the stone song. Yeah, yeah. I actually do because I was reading a thing on Blaze discussing about how they almost actually had this song for the ending of Scream Two. Oh. Like it was, they were going to have it on the play where the movie ends. You know, obviously they got the song they use now, but they were going to have this song. Because it was actually coming out right when the song was getting ready to get released, so it was going to be a good timing, and they liked the song, and the Stones thing happened. That's what fucked that up. This song is just haunting Sarah Michelle Gellar, then. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Was this ever in a Buffy episode? Probably not. They probably couldn't afford it. Oh, probably not. Apparently, like once the thing happened with like uh, that, they became very trepidatious about licensing, licensing the song for a while. Yeah, I've heard the Stone song. I don't hear the similarities. Like, it's a reach. The Stones probably needed money. It was the 90s. They weren't exactly doing too great at that point. They were the Rolling Stones. They haven't needed money since the mid-60s. Like, they're, they're doing fine. They could have just let this band walk away. But no, they destroyed them. Look, Mick Jagger wanted his money, goddammit. Keith Richards wanted his money. He leads that band. Mick just sings in Keith's band. Oh, I'm sorry, that's right. He he is supporting Keith's fucking balls of steel. I, I I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I say this a lot in life. I think Keith Richards died in the 80s, and they've been propping his ass up like a mummy ever since, because if he goes, it all goes. Has he spoken publicly since, like, the 80s? I don't think he has. I don't know. I've only... Does he have left to say? He's got nothing left to say. He sings about it. Or he plays guitar about it. Sorry. He plays guitar about it. Uh, best performance. Who wins the movie? Oh, without a doubt. I had this. This was the only thing I wrote down like as soon as the movie started. And this is 100% my fucking crush happening right now. So I'm sure Geller uh, for me. I, Honestly, everyone in this movie is doing a really good job. But and look, crush aside, it's kind of what we talked about earlier with her. It's um taking into account that this was probably I would say when the second, third season of Buffy was airing. I would say season three more than likely. Yep. Um yeah. So she's known for this type of role. Like I said, she had done like I know what you did last summer. I can't remember if Scream 2 came out before or after this. Before. Uh, before. So she had kind of like this type of role down. People knew her for this. And then she does this, and to me, does a really good job. Like, she really commits to this, and it's a complete 180 from what we, ex- especially at that time, people expect out of her. And she absolutely crushes it. I agree. I also picked Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, she's our bad guy. She's the, you know, the fucking Corella DeVille of this movie. Just this irredeemable, horrible human being who lives to shatter and destroy anyone she deems worth destroying which is anyone 
who even remotely threatens her like prosperity at this school. And you know, she just, she's such a horrible person and the performance is great. you never question it for a second. I don't see Buffy at any point in this movie. No, which was, you know, probably really tough to do. Cause I'm sure every, a lot of people went to see this cause they were Buffy fans and they're like, Oh, she's not slaying vampires. She's slaying hearts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, runner up probably Reese Witherspoon. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll give, hmm? I was going to say, I'll give someone better props for her role. It's, it's an annoying role. Like, she's fucking annoying, but she commits to this, like, just ridiculous part in this movie. She's like an 18-year-old with the mind of an 11-year-old, and that's just uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't I don't like that. I don't know. I did get a good laugh when, like, she's, like, talking to um, Sebastian at the beginning and, like, opens her legs up so you can see her under her, and he's just... His comment cracked me up so much. How's it going down there? You see his eyes openly start to wonder. Oh, boy. Um, Yeah, she's a good performance. It's just the character is so creepy. I don't. I, ugh. Um, I did think how, how I, I found it funny that Reese Witherspoon's character Annette writes this whole manifesto about how awesome it is to be a virgin. And I got to say, she gives up pretty damn fast to the guy who is known for fucking around. Yeah. Like all because she she falls for that shit fast. Yeah. And all because they love each other, which not saying anything bad against. It's just is kind of funny in context of the movie. I just, I don't know if I'm a cynic or maybe it's just because you know I haven't found my love yet. But I don't I don't believe it when true love happens in less than a week. I just don't buy it ever in any movie. I mean, like it's a gradual process. You don't die for somebody when you've known them a week. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's tough. It, it's kind of like that thing, you know. Some people that like, it, it's it's just so weird because you have people that like, yeah, they don't know for months and months and months until like they love someone. But then you got those people that like truly fall in love at first sight with someone, and they're like married for fucking ever. Like it's it's weird how the the human. It's just weird how the, all that shit works. Love doesn't make a, a lick of sense. It's the weirdest part of the human existence because we don't get to choose it. It chooses us, which is so strange. But there's people out there who hate the person they love, but they can't do anything about it. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a feeling that you know, it's one of those things where, like, everyone's like, you know, you don't understand until you experience it. And, like, yeah, I can say now, like, yeah, I don't understand until you. It's just, like, it hits you and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is not a movie about love. This is a movie about lust. About sick, twisted, incestual lust. That's what this movie okay, is. we went on a really nice route and you just went right yeah. back to lust. We were getting too, we were getting too Princess Bridey. We had to pull this back. Not, not that like this movie has an entire scene where Reese Witherspoon, Ryan Phillippe make love clearly in the movie. Eh, no, 
You know they read like their personal part, their personal life into that scene. You think they were like, you think one of them asked if it could be unsimulated? I think they filmed that at home and then gave it to the director and said, "Trust us, use it." <laughs> First, she's like, "I don't know," and then he watched from it. Oh my god! It's like uh, in Zach and Mary when they're like. They finally do the porn scene, and there's that big thing about, like, they just made love. That was what it was for the director. He went, <laughs> this is going into the movie. This is art. Um, The best scene, the John Carpenter Award. What is the best scene of the movie? Well, this was my second quickest thing to pick, and that is absolutely the kissing scene between Michelle Geller and Selma Blair. I, look, I, I don't care. This makes me sound that is a hot fucking scene god damn like even though you know this is like a game that like uh smg's character is playing like you know like i'm not gonna keep saying her full thing you know you can, a, just say, you can just say Catherine. i honestly keep forgetting her name is Catherine. um <laughs> i just keep mind blinking um but you know you know you know it's like a long game she's playing like yeah, I you I you get why this is so considered like it's always put on like the list of like the top five usually of like hottest kissing scenes in films. And usually when I see those the that list, I'm like, not that hot, that stupid. The Spider-Man scene, not that great, because it's just and realistically you got water just fucking pouring into your goddamn nose, which would be annoying. Um but this scene, yeah, like this is one where I'm like, yep. Absolutely. This is a this is a hot scene. It's been parodied to death now, I think, uh by uh, you know, I think the Wayans and one of those there was a I forget which parody movie did it. I know there's one of them had a parody on it. Um, but yeah, this this scene is yeah, you know, I'll, it's just a hot scene. That's all that's all I can. I got nothing besides it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, seeing Selma Blair make out with submachine gun is fantastic uh i went with something else i had one moment written down because i was like that was funny as hell it's right after sebastian uh like bangs cecile and she like jumps up and is like says something like you want to go again or something and he just like pushes pushes her so hard she flies off the fucking bed we're just like no like it was so and she doesn't like she gets back up like ah, 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 but he's very much like get the fuck out of here. It was it was really funny. I wasn't expecting yeah. her to get off the bed. I yeah, I forgot about that scene. And when I was watching this time, like, and she flies off, I I I did laugh. I was like, Jesus. Because he I didn't realize how hard he pushed her. But uh I didn't I I didn't go with that. I went with uh Sebastian's death scene because it is so melodramatic and avoidable. Um, so Catherine convinces Ronald, the cello teacher, who's just sleeping with everybody that, um, Sebastian beat her and took off and Ronald being the macho noble knight in shining armor goes over to central park to confront Sebastian. I don't know how the hell he knew he was going to be there, but Hey, you know, New York's a small place. And um, <laughs> it's not that big. Yeah, it's only like six, seven people. Yeah, small everyone town. knows everyone. Small, t- small town charm, right there. Small town charm. Uh, 
So they start fighting. Annette also happens to be walking by because, you know, small town. And uh, she runs over. It's like, stop it. Not once does Sebastian say, what? I didn't hit her. He's just, he pretty much like leads Ronald to believe that, yeah, he did. Like, it's he does not defend himself at all. It's actually kind of funny. He's like, oh, shit, she got to you too. Like, that sounds like, yeah, I did it. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. He, yeah, I love in movies, no one ever just asks point blank what the fuck it is you're talking about. It's always, like, clearly, like, written to be misconstrued. Every film's conflict, I believe, can be solved by just simple communication. Every it film could, ever made. It could be, absolutely. Yeah. Uh you know, I did not hit her. I did not. It's bullshit. Oh, hi, Ronald. Anyway, um, I couldn't resist. So they start fighting like right next to the street. <laughs> Annette gets involved. Ronald just like pushes Annette away into fucking traffic. Uh, this cab, which I guess is just staring out the passenger window, looking at Central Park West, not looking at anything. In front of him. Central Park Rest is a beautiful place. <laughs> Just maintaining like 50, which is impossible in New York. It's, you know, bumper to bumper traffic 24-7. There's, you can't crest above five miles an hour. And almost hits her. Sebastian pushes her out of the way. He takes the cab to the face, flies over the car, manages to squeak out, I love you, Annette. And then dies in the street. I don't know what happened to Ronald. <laughs> He's not in the rest of the movie. It's honestly a ridiculous scene. And like watching him, like I think I forgot like something. Like, oh, he'll be fine. You, you, you don't have to die from that. Like I've seen plenty of films where they get hit a lot worse, and they just keep on trucking. Insert Fast and Furious sequel here. Um, <laughs> But this, like, man, those apparently New York cab drivers, you get hit by one, you're fucked, you're dead. Well, I mean, Sebastian is, a, you know, a, a spindly, thin, like, toady of a man who has no muscle tone. So I can understand him. He probably gets hit with a golf cart. He doesn't walk away. <laughs> but so a cab, that's going to fuck him up. He's not, he may. He's not he's not belly giant Knoxville. He can just walk away. Yeah. How many cars to the face has that guy taken for like in real life? Right you can't bit. take a fake car? <laughs> Knoxville's taking bulls in real life. Yeah. It's he, you know, a rocket almost shot up his ass. He took a bull at the age of fifty. I just want to throw this out there. I love how many of our episodes just somehow always manage to go back to Jackass. Because I will never let it die, especially as I am following very closely the news of Bam Margera, as I am slowly expecting that to go very bad by the end of the year. Yeah, you know what I mean, and I think you do. I do. But anyway, things went bad for Sebastian. He dies, and uh, quite a good turnout at the funeral. And uh, Catherine gives the address, and then we all know what happens after that. But the death scene, I just—it's so—it's like right out of a soap opera. You know, I almost expect like the real Sebastian to come running from the side, be like, "That's an imposter." No, no, no. He would have like if it was a real soap opera, he would have come out when the, the with being the one to be like, "I never actually died, Catherine." At like the, the wake, yeah, getting yeah, a reputation, yeah. yeah, he would have popped out then. He comes or, out of the bathroom, winks at Catherine, and then disappears. 
Even, I'm also yeah, even better. He does that, and then you the next scene is him in the car with a net, just driving away. Even better, he he was driving the cab. <laughs> I don't know. I can't explain the logistics of it, but that would have been hysterical. This isn't even so far. This is just Fast and Furious now. Pretty much. I mean, has anyone stayed dead in that franchise? No. And apparently, you know. They really dude. Okay, so real quick, it's only on my mind because I have a ticket for Saturday to go see this movie. Um, because yes, I'm unashamedly going to go see the Fast and Furious. Um, they released in the week before it comes out a four and a half minute final trailer. Are they just trying to say like there are no surprises in this movie? We want you to know everything before you go in. I didn't watch that trailer. I didn't watch. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. You already did the trailer where you showed me fucking John Cena. And Jason Statham, after he did, made a point to not talk about them in the cast, and then he went, oh, yeah, they're in the movie. Here you go. They're on the fucking poster, too. Yeah, Everybody. Poster. Yeah. <laughs> and they also revealed Brie Larson's fucking character. I didn't realize what I was reading until he went, oh, yeah, so this is who she's playing. I was like, fuck, why would you say that if you're trying to keep it secret? You see Vin announced, like, we're actually doing two more movies. Yeah. Well, he coyly said the studio asked if they could do two more. So it's like my ass. No, I, I, I think he, he I think the, yeah, I think the studio is done with this franchise, at least with him attached to it. I think they're done and they're, they probably just want the one more that was already talked about. And he's like, come on, let me do two. And now he's, he's probably pulling what they did with like Star Trek four. And they were like, yeah, we're doing Star Trek four. And we got the cast attached. And they're like, the fuck oh. you don't. Um, <laughs> and he's probably trying to do the same thing. Like, yeah, the studio wants three. And I'm sure they, Three movies instead, and he, they probably went there and go. We didn't say no. Okay, no, no. He's not pulling a rock on us, guys. No, <laughs> one movie, and that's it. I bet Vin is at Universal right now, being like, "Please don't make me be Riddick again. I can't stand the contact lenses. I need this." <laughs> yeah, that's what it reeks of. Like, give me what I actually want, you piece of shit. I keep waiting. Really looking man. Now, I keep waiting any day now for a like mock up poster of Black Adam two, with The Rock just being like, June twenty twenty five. Let's go. <laughs> just with nothing to back that up. But what what is with these two? I have Vin Diesel. He just won't do fucking Riddick four. Even though literally that's actually probably a more wanted thing in the Fast and Furious by actual fans. I know I'm not the only one. It's like yeah, just doing our Riddick. Like we like. Three or two out of the three films, anyway. Three, if you count the animated short they did between the first and second movie, was actually really, really good. Um, and then you got The Rock, who's adamant that Black Adam 2 is going to happen. <laughs> I don't get these two guys. They've never been told no, and now they have, and they don't know what to do. It's it's fractured them. So, so like, mentally, they don't, they can't cope. It's a blow to the ego they weren't expecting, so now they're losing their mind. Yeah, I'm sure Universal was like, "No, you do one more Fast Furious, and then do that damn Riddick film we told you you could do, and we can make money off of." Then <laughs> you get one, Vin. You get one, <laughs> and you get nothing, Dwayne. <laughs> I, I just saw the really walking scene. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> oh my God. I wish I was an executive so I could say that all the time. I would turn down so many pitches just so I could say that. Right? Just 
I just quote movie lines all day and I'm just to confuse them. And also I, for them to leave me alone. My favorite one to do would be Caddyshack. You'll get nothing and like it. <laughs> I would do the John Wick thing with Winston. You owe me. I owe you nothing. Ah, this would be fun. I got all right. Now we got to start building up our, you know, clout so we can get these jobs and do this. <laughs> this is all I want to do. I want to be in a position of power where I can shoot people's dreams down with movie quotes. <laughs> <laughs> uh so with that let's give let's see what's uh what letterbox is saying about cruel intentions on our next segment what's in the box what's in the fucking box so cruel intentions is rocking a 3.3 out of 5 on letterboxd and the headline picture is the makeout scene so everyone's on the same page with this one a great scene, okay? <laughs> and it's purely for the reason you think it's great. I personally rated this three and a half out of five stars. Pretty good. Same. I would do, I would do the same three and a half out of five. I have five reviews here that all five fucking made me cackle. So I think you're gonna like these. Um first up, this is from Lol. Lalo McFlowflow. Uh, going to high school in the 90s must have been really tough with everyone being 25 and on Coke. Three stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like compared to this and like American Pie and Beverly Hills 90210, like if you were a child in the 90s, you had a very out of proportion idea of what a teenager was. <laughs> Right. Um, he was do it, be a teenager in California. Yeah, it was just everyone was fucking, everyone was on drugs, and it was the most important time of their lives. Every single time. Yeah. Every day mattered. Just thinking of like Dawson's Creek, where it's like, you know, every decision matters, man. Like, I, I fucking hate that kind of show. High school yeah. drama shows are the worst. No, uh, yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, that is one thing. It's like, I, no, I'm good. I'm glad that is not really a thing anymore. And they always lasted like nine, 10, 11 seasons. Yeah, they stayed in high school way too long. They got to the point where like they had seasons dedicated around their summer vacation just to make, make this thing like last. Sometimes they would just go to college, like they, this damn show would follow them to college. Yeah, and then it's like, well, now it's only about high school. Now we're just going to see them grow up and experience life. At least Buffy had, you know, nightmare like nightmare monsters and real teenagers. <laughs> that was, you know, that was a big one. This next one's from Dorsey. They don't make garbage this delicious anymore. Three and a half stars. It's true. Nineties garbage uh, was tasty. Hey, look, I'm telling you, rock thriller is a it's it's not it's a. Even ones like this, like they're not, they're not made, they're not even made. I would say they're not made like they're used to. They're just not made anymore. They don't. There's a whole like I talked about this on an episode with Maja a while back, but there's a, a whole vibe of the '90s that vanished, like not even in 2000, but in like 2005. Like it's, it's just I, I can't explain what it is, but we all 
recognize it. I, I miss that. Yeah. How much of the, do you think it's a vibe or just our nostalgia of our age? Well, I don't know, because I've seen it in movies that like I hadn't I I've never seen when I was a kid. Like Cruel Intentions, for instance. I didn't see I didn't see this when I was a kid. Okay, fair enough, fair enough on that one. Yeah, yeah, but it like, still oh. has that vibe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd love to explore that. I don't know what what kind of research I would do or like how to quantify I'm that, sure, but I'd love to do it. I'm sure we were. I've noticed more and more that like the nineties is finally starting to get kind of like looked at as a decade, kind of like how the seventies and eighties have been. Like it's just been long enough now that now we're like, we should probably reevaluate the nineties. So yeah. I'm sure there'll be plenty of talk in the years to come about all that stuff. Um, and then 2000s won't be far behind that by the time we're fucking old and graying. Uh, I know, right? I know. Um, but like, you know, because like, for example, you know, I there's a lot of films getting reclaimed from the 90s. Um, the hor- horror wise, um, the In Search of Darkness guys, now that they wrapped up their 80s saga, guess what decade they're looking at next? The 90s, yep, because they they apparently. Someone said, well, what about 70s? So, like, we've discussed the 70s, but the problem with that is that because that decade is getting so far removed, a lot of people who were big then aren't around anymore. Just fact of the matter is, there are a lot, there are still a good amount, obviously, but options are getting limited. And for I mean, that's just real, realistically what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas 90s, you still got a lot of people from that period around to talk about those films. So, yeah, 90s is starting to get its due, man. It's starting, it's starting to get its, uh, its time in the sun. That's What's sad. Right? I, I still sit, I still think of the '90s as like ten years ago. I know. I was about to say the 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 flip of that coin there. The other side is that it just also shows that we're getting older because that's why it's happening. Yeah, that that blows. <laughs> well, I'd love to be on the forefront of that '90s like rediscovering thing. I'd love to be a part of that. Yeah. Um. This next one's from Zara. This Scooby-Doo backstory for Daphne was a lot more intense than I would have thought. Four stars. <laughs> Before she solved mysteries with the Scooby gang, she was destroying lives in the Upper West Side. <laughs> with the coke habit. <laughs> That's I mean... why after Catherine got, you know, eviscerated by her peers, she moved to Coolsville and changed her name to Daphne Blake. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That would make a lot of sense, actually. Um, I mean, technically, if you go by the original script for um, the supposed original script for Scooby Doo, it was rated R. So that's what James Gunn said. I doubt if Gunn intended to make it a Cruel Intentions sequel, but I would applaud him if he did. I I doubt it too, but you know, good on him if he did do that. At the end of Scooby Doo, like the bad guy takes off his mask and it's fucking Ryan Phil- Phillippe. <laughs> it's like, damn it, Catherine. Would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. What a twist. Right? Uh, this next one's from Jillian. I wonder if Ryan and Reese's kids have seen this. Three stars. <laughs> if they did, they got to the, the scene, you know, the sex scene and went, nope, don't need to see that. I wonder how that works. Like, you know, people who, you know, actors watch their work with their families. Like, does everyone just close their eyes or like, how does, what do you do in that situation? I don't know. So I don't, I mean, obviously mom and I got to work. Like they got to pay the bills. 
I don't. Not all films they do are for kids. So yeah, you. What do you do when you're like, I don't, you know, obviously if you're the kid, it's like, you want to support your parents, but you don't want to see your mom, you know, get rolled out in a movie. So you're like, oh, God. Maybe the family watches just like heaven and not cruel intentions. (laughs) Probably. Reese is a ghost and therefore cannot get railed. So that's the one I would go with. I I were dead. (laughs) It's funny because people say, man, what about like the porn stars? I have kids. I'm like. I feel like that's actually easier because, like, it's not like there's premiere, premieres for porn or stuff like that, or like you just get on Netflix and it's there. Like, well, yeah, but once the kids start, you know, once puberty rolls around and they're like searching the sites, that's a little different. And it's not like a movie that's tasteful and artsy about it. They're they're seeing full penetration, yeah. which is something they don't want to see. They're seeing their moms, the thing they came out of. Just boom. I feel like the porn stars have to have a, a sit down and explain their career to their teenage. That's that's fucked up. Like I don't I don't see how like that's a that's a tough conversation. Yeah. Yeesh. Well. Okay, moving on. There's no there's no way out of that one. There's no good way out of that. It's no good segue. But it is you know what kind of relevant to this next one. Oh god. <laughs> The Last Kelton describes this movie pretty well in one sentence. One teenage sociopath's unrelenting quest to fuck his stepsister in the butt leads to an existential realization by way of taxi collision. Two stars. (laughs) That's cruel intentions in a nutshell. Yeah, that's... You know what? He really got to the essence of the story. One, One man's noble quest to just like just completely brutally nail his stepsister that's that's the goal of this movie we may forget that from time to time but that's what started all this god the porno version of this movie must be really weird i feel like the porno version of this is in my uh i think in my review i i said that this feels like the non-sex parts of porno like this movie's all the setup, <laughs> just not the actual scenes you you yeah. want to see. Yeah, it f- it feels like that at times. Which yeah, kind of funny. Okay, okay. fair enough. Okay. Any last thoughts on Cruel Intentions? No, no. I I've exhausted. I think I've exhausted everything I have to say and about this. And you know, it like no, well, like. Did I watch this for very baseless, baseless reasons? Yeah, I did my first time. With that said, did it end up being a surprisingly like decent enough fun little film to watch? Yeah, I I had a good time with it. I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm not like I really just sat through that just for like Sir Stroke Eller and that was it. And I was like, oh okay, you know, it's a good little movie I watched. I enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, if you know, if check it out, Matt, give it a shot. You might like it. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a pretty good movie. Just don't watch it with your parents. No, 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 no. Especially if they're Buffy fans, they will. Uh, you don't want to watch it then. And you know what? Just to be safe, maybe don't watch it with your brother or sister either. Yeah, if you have even an inkling that your step sibling might have uh, feelings, don't watch it around them. Well, with that, 
little nugget of advice. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or always send us a message through the socials. Check out our Letterboxd accounts for daily reviews. You can search for me at Connor95, and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to that Letterboxd if you want to read the reviews, and you can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, feel free to click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. All donations go right back into the show, and we very much appreciate it. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their constant friendship and contributions to the show. Thanks to Cooley Cal for our awesome theme music, and thanks to you for checking out the show. Remember not to fuck your step-sibling. Incest by marriage is still incest. And try not to manipulate any emotionally vulnerable women into sleeping with you for reputation points. Take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next week. And once again, happy birthday, Nicole. Thank you.